Good morning, everyone. Like it was told, I am Ken Waldrop. Um, I'm a chaplain at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, but a lot of you may know this or may not know this, but Tiffany and Clint and my wife Anna and I, they, we used to go to church together many, many years ago, and now our sons are in the same soccer program. I'm not holding it against them, but their son's team always beats my son's team. So I'm not holding it I'm repenting today before I preach. But, but today we're going to be reading out of John 13, 1 through 17. John 13, 1 through 17. And about a week ago, I got a text message from Tiffany. And she said, would you be willing to preach? Well, asking a Baptist preacher if he's ready to preach, there's, the answer is always yes. And with something that she didn't know, I would just had about five minutes before she sent that text message, I had a conversation with my wife. I was sitting there and I was saying, you know, I have many benefits being a chaplain, but there's one thing that I don't get to do often, and it's preach. And I had just... I kid you not, said, I just wonder when the next opportunity to preach is. Because I'm not one of those guys that's like, can I feel your pulpit? Can I do that? Can I, can I feel your pulpit? And then I got a text message from Tiffany that says, hey, do you think you could fill my dad's pulpit? And I'm like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. So I say that saying it's not an easy thing to fill a pulpit. It's a weighty thing. Um, it's something that I don't take for granted. And bringing the word to a congregation is a heavy thing, an important word. But also we know we've worshipped in song, so now let's worship through his word. So, opening up with verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Now Now when it was time for supper... The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, and that he had come from the Father, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took up a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, and to dry them with a towel that he had tied around him. He came to Simon Peter and asked him, and who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not realize now, but afterwards you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you will have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only wash my feet, but also wash my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothes, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, And a messenger is not greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Well, let us pray. 
Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to bring your word, but I just ask that you use my preparation, but do not allow me to rely upon it, God. Allow me to rely upon you. I have no merit and no worth to bring anything today, God. God, but you have in your plan placed me here, so use me as a tool. God, speak to the hearts of everyone who is in here for for this revival today, God, but every day is a revival. Let our hearts be renewed. Let us leave this place not the same that we came, because we know that you are constantly sanctifying us. You are transforming us into the image of Christ. And we thank you for that. Use your word to speak to our hearts. Let it cut deep, but not only just cut deep and show us where we need to change and where we need to follow, but it also points us to a high priest who is Jesus, who intercedes for us. And we thank you for that, God, who truly understands who we are and what we're doing and where we are at in our lives, God. So today, you are welcome in this place. Lord, we need you. We need you more than ever. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. About three years ago, I was driving with a buddy of mine to Louisville, Kentucky for some continuing education. And this was kind of a a little profound trip. It was, for me, a lot of you, um, one thing you need to know about me is I grew up in central Florida. And in central Florida, you have two seasons. You have spring and you have hot. <laughs> and we have hot all the time. So about a few years ago, I don't know if you remember the term snowpocalypse. We had the big snowpocalypse. And I had to go for continuing education. I remember driving through Atlanta with my buddy. There's snow on the ground. I'm not used to this. And we're driving through Atlanta the 75-85 merge, and there's no one there. It's just us, and we're driving. So we finally make our way to Louisville, and we get in, and we decide, let's go get some coffee. Let's go get some coffee. So we go to the coffee shop on the campus, and we, I guess we looked weary, we looked tired, and we were getting coffee, and this, this young guy, he had a lot of spunk and excitement in his eyes. He came up, he's like, why are you guys here? Just started asking us questions. And I was like, oh, well, you know, we're here for some continuing education. This is where we are. And he's like, well, I'm an undergraduate. I'm starting. This is my first year. This, do you have any advice for me? And so we started the talk, and we gave him some advice, and he walked away. And there's one thing that we realized from that conversation. He was calling us old. <laughs> he saw us, and he came, and he's like, you're old. Maybe they'll have some information. Maybe they'll have something to pull from me. I loved his excitement. But we had that question, when did we become the people who gave advice instead of asked for advice? But there's one more thing from that trip that really spoke to my heart. We are sitting in class, and there are two, two people in this class. There are the pastors, and there are the chaplains. So the chaplains kind of migrate together. And the pastors kind of migrate together. You know, birds of feather flock together kind of a thing. And we, we come together, and I was speaking to someone who was a military chaplain, kind of the same thing that I get to do. And we started to discuss what we do on a daily basis. And there's a saying in, in chaplaincy that we have a ministry of presence, meaning that we get to walk with people in their journey, walk in their struggles, their highs and their lows, but be there in the journey with them. But sometimes not saying anything, but offering that presence of peace. And he said, that's absolutely correct. But there's one thing that you're forgetting, Kent, and this has stuck with me to this day. He said this. He said, we have a ministry of presence, but that ministry of presence is a ministry of purpose. The passage of Scripture that we just read, I absolutely love. And why do I love it? Because there's a purpose to every action that Jesus did. 
All throughout the New Testament, we see that there is a purpose, there's an intention in what Jesus does. But when we look at this passage, we see that he's not just doing a physical act, he's doing a spiritual act. And he's representing something. In verse 1, it says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. He had come from God and that he was going back to God. These verses show that Judas was already under the control and influence of the devil, and Jesus had full knowledge of what was going to happen. And in this passage, there's one thing, when I was doing some research, there's one thing we need to understand. Jesus betrayed, I mean, Judas betrayed Jesus with clean feet. Let that sink in. Before Judas betrayed him, Jesus still washed his feet. Fully knowing what was about to happen. So he went, got up from supper, and he laid aside his outer clothing, took up the towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. This was a profound moment for the disciples, and I'll tell you why. Because it was high honor for the owner of a home to allow his slaves to wash the feet of his guests. In the hierarchy of the family, the wife in, in that time, wash the feet of the husband and the children of the parents. So Jesus, they knowing full knowledge of who he is, even in the low, lower aspects of this passage, we can see they knew he was the teacher. They knew that he was the Savior. But he came, he took off his robe, he tied a towel around his waist, he bent down and he began to wash his disciples' feet. That is an amazing statement. That he's taking on the position of a servant, because we know he's taking on in this world the suffering servant, but he goes to wash the feet of his disciple. It was a symbolic act, a symbolic act of his sacrifice on the cross. When we go and we see, when he comes to Peter, he asks, he came to Simon Peter, and Peter says this, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I absolutely love Peter. Why do I love Peter? Because Peter is an example of what, saying that we all have hope. Because Peter was that guy in class that when, he, when the teacher asked a question and he raised his hand, no one wanted to pick on him. You know, he's like, don't pick on him. He's going to ask a silly question. Don't get there. Don't pick him. Because, but here's the thing about Peter. He speaks what everyone's thinking. He speaks what everyone's thinking. And he reflects you and he reflects me. Because when Jesus came to him, he understand who Jesus was. And he said this, do not wash my feet. Do not wash my feet. You can't do that. You will never wash my feet. And I absolutely love this because we've all had come to Jesus meeting with our parents, right? He had to come to meeting Jesus with Jesus. <laughs> Let that sink in. And he says this, Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Because foot washing was a symbolic nature of Repentance of sin and cleansing of salvation. 
So Peter kind of got the hint, and he answers him, Lord, not only wash my feet, but wash my hands and wash my head. And when we walk through this scripture, we see that Jesus says, you don't understand. You have already been saved. You've already been cleansed. One that has already bathed only needs his feet washed, because bathing in this passage, what Jesus is saying is, you have been saved, but you need to repent constantly. Feet washing represents that symbolic nature of being conformed to Christ Jesus day in and day out. Because we are once saved, we are always saved. Amen? We are transformed by His Holy Spirit, but throughout our lives, little bits and pieces of our sinful nature falls away, and we show repentance in that. And Jesus is pointing out that every day needs to be a day of service and feet washing and repentance to Him. Because we do know we are defined not by our actions and by our circumstances, but by the very actions of Jesus Christ. And we can see here in verse 10 and verse 12, When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is who I am so if, you are, if I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you also ought wash one another's feet. For I have given you the example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Is he talking about, there are some Christian denominations that treat feet washing as a third ordinance. Baptism, Lord's Supper, feet washing. But what he's talking about, and you can do that because of the symbolic nature of ordinances. No saving nature in them, but just actions to remember. But Jesus is saying, you must have the attitude of a servant in this world. Serve one another just as I, the Savior of the world, the rabbi, the teacher, coming to serve you, washing your feet, but getting down there with you and serving. Um, one of the amazing things I get to do as a chaplain is I don't just get to minister to um, patients. I get to contact and minister with, with stakeholders or employees. And I can tell you they're the smartest people in the world when I get to talk with nurses. And I say that humbly because my wife's a nurse. So you know, she's a lot smarter than I am. But I get to speak with nurses. And I was speaking to a baby nurse, a baby nurse, a new graduate nurse. And I was just asking him, how was your clinicals? What did you get to do? And they get to go to all other aspects of the hospital, learn what they do, see what they would want their niche to be. And this young lady was saying, Ken, one of the most profound moments in my life is when I did my ER rotation. I've done an ER rotation. That is a, that is a special moment. <laughs> Let me just say that. You can, if you really want to know a county, work in the ER. I can tell you that. But she said one day she was teamed up with another student nurse that was following a, a, uh, the, the nurse on staff, and they said, there's this homeless man who came, out, came in during the winter. He was dirty, he was nasty, and he needed to be treated. And so they got excited because they get to treat. They get to be nurses. They get to learn what to do. And they ask the nurse who is in charge of them, what, what's the first thing we need to do? What's the first thing we need to do for them? And she said, get a towel, get some water, get some soap, and wash his feet. And speaking to this nurse, she said, that was one of the most profound moments in my life because she's a believer. And she said, it was not a pleasant experience. But the man began to 
tear up and cry because he said, I have not been touched by another human being in years. And you come and you wash my feet. The symbolic nature of feet washing, of serving one another, being the people of the basin and of the towel, is profound. Jesus is defining the very nature of Christian community and Christian relationships. Because I read this the other day, and I think it's true, we cannot have Jesus on our lips without Jesus in our hearts. And how many times have we met people, and this is not passing judgment because I'm looking in the mirror when I say this statement, how many times have we had Jesus on our lips, but not in our heart? When was the last time that we felt we need to serve and not be served? Because it's easy to want to be called a servant. It's bad, it's hard when someone treats you like one. Because when we look at this passage of Scripture, it speaks to a model among... God, right now, we just ask for your, your presence today, God. God, we ask for your healing. And I ask for clarity of mind when it comes to the medical staff as they minister through medicine. Allow them to do what they need to do. Leave alone what they need to leave alone. But also, God, we know that you are the great physician. So we know that you're here, that we know that you're active, and we know that you are working. So, Lord, I just ask for you to lead, to guide, to direct our hearts away from the what-ifs and onto the certainties, because we do know that you are our Savior, our peace, and our hope. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in this passage of Scripture, we see that Jesus is acting as the servant as the suffering servant, speaking to the community of believers, creating a community that's not based upon situations, but based upon service and love. And just like the nurse that I was mentioning earlier, that you get to that point where you clean somebody's feet and the raw nature of what that is and what it means, it shows what we as believers should do. Exactly what happened here today. We stopped, we paused, we put ourselves aside, and we helped a fellow believer. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Because we know that we are blessed with this concept of Christian community. Because to be a people of the basin and of the towel, a community or a people of service, we must recognize the community in which God has given us. The other day, or about a year ago, I don't know why I said another day, but about a year ago, I was coming home from Jonesboro where I was filling in and teaching a, a class at First Baptist Jonesboro, and there's one thing that I, there are two certainties in my life. I know that Jesus is Lord, and I love coffee, and I needed coffee really bad, and I stopped by the I was by the biggest Starbucks I think I've ever seen. It used to be a Fuddruckers, and now it's a Starbucks. And I'm like, I'm going to stop by, and I'm going to get me some coffee. And I walked into that place, and I saw one thing after another. One thing after another. I saw it was close to uh, an extension center for one of our state universities, so people were, they were studying in one side. Then on the other side, there was a book club. And then on the other side, I think it was like a mops group that just got done walking in Peachtree City on the, on the loop. But the one thing that Starbucks does is they're selling community. They're selling community. They're not just selling coffee. They're selling community. Because, you know, we know Starbucks sells coffee. You know, and I'm not the fancy coffee guy. I just like coffee. You know, I go into there and they're like, so what do you want? Coffee. And then they want me to say, you know, venti or whatever. I'm like, small. 
<laughs> but we go and they, do they sell coffee? Yes or no? Yes and no, because they're selling community. Because there's something we call the third place in life. The first place is family. The second place is work or school. And the third place is where we find our center. And in this world that's being turned upside down, there are companies, and I don't want to say that are hijacking things, but they're selling community where people can feel belong, loved, and cared for. But ultimately, what Starbucks is trying to do is sell coffee, make money, take advantage of it. Sell community for the sake of self-profit. But what we see in this passage of Scripture, that Jesus is talking about a community of service. We must be a people of the basin of the towel that come together and serve one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, 24-26, it says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we are baptized by one and the whole, one spirit in one body, whether Jew nor Greek, whether slave nor free, we are all given the spirit to drink. Instead, God has given us, put his body together, giving no greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Today we stopped and we suffered together. Today we stopped and we served. The beauty of the body and the beauty of the, the body of Christ is that we're all different parts, all different functions, but the church cannot work without everybody. A hand can't say to a leg that I want to be a leg. The youth pastor can't say, I want to do this. I used to be a youth pastor, so I always said when it came to the body of Christ, I was the armpit, you know. But you can't, have, you can't work without an armpit, so you have that spot. But we do know that we have community, and the community is not the based upon selling coffee or selling money, but on self-sacrifice and service and the gospel. With we, when we are in that community, we know we must be available for each other's needs. We must be available for each other's needs. Um, back when we were building Lifeway Christian stores in Birmingham, there, they, there is this construction worker. He would never talk to anybody, didn't make connection with anybody, but he was just building the Lifeway store. Well, the project manager came forward and he was talking to this gentleman who is the foreman of the, of the crew. And they were talking about what's the purpose of Lifeway? Why are we building this bookstore? And they began talking about the gospel. The purpose of the gospel and the purpose of why do we have these outposts of God's word in communities. And this gentleman came with his hard hat in hand and he said this. He said, what is this gospel? Who is this Jesus? And I would like to know. So on the job site, under the girders of the Lifeway store, unfinished, he was led to Christ. What that guy did not know was the project supervisor was having kind of an existential crisis before it happened. Before he came to the site, he's like, am I just building buildings? Am I just building buildings so we can make money? 
what am I doing? So he began to pray for everybody, didn't know their name, but everyone on the job site. And he said, Lord, if there is someone who needs to hear your word, bring them to me. And then in the article that I was reading, with his surprise, it happened. (laughs) It happened. And then he got to say this. When that gentleman drives by that building, it's not just a testament of good selling. It's a testament of what happened to him. Because he was changed. He was transformed. Because we do know that people are struggling Everyone's not okay. Is this what level of not okay? What is the greatest lie told on a Sunday morning? It's when we do our meet and greet, and it's like, how you doing, brother? I'm fine. I'm good. You put the mask on, and I'm, I'm doing fine. You know, my dog's dead. My, my car broke down. My wife left me, but I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. But when we realize that people are just not having a good day, and there are levels of not okay, and we are open in that community, God opens avenues for ministries of purpose and presence. So we can serve and we can wash the feet. But when we acknowledge that there is an issue, when we acknowledge that someone has needs, we don't need to be afraid of the mess. Sometimes it can be messy. Lives are messy. Issues are messy. But it's worth it. People are worth it. There is a gentleman who was baptized two weeks ago in a church in Arkansas. And that happens quite often in churches, people being baptized, making their public professions of faith. This one was a little different. Six months earlier, that gentleman vandalized that church, destroyed the sound equipment, came in there on a rampage, ripping things off the wall. But not everyone knew the backstory. He had been passed around from family to family, in the foster care system. He had been addicted to methamphetamine since the age of 15, alcohol since the age of 12, and no one treated him like a person. He had just gotten out of rehab, and he was doing good. But then he got a phone call, and his best friend just committed suicide. So he said, I knew where I could get my fix, and he went and he got his fix, and he says, I don't remember anything after that. Except when the cops cops came and picked me up off the, the street in front of the church and put the cuffs on me. And the church had a moment where they could say one thing. They could say, throw the book at him. Or how can we serve him? Well, the pastor says this. The pastor says this. He's, he's like, you cannot just preach something for 50 years without practicing it, especially in front of your whole church. Had we not shown some grace to him, everything we've talked about and encouraged would have gone by the wayside. It was simply the right thing to do. It's simply the right thing to do. So, of course, he had to be punished. Of course, there had to be due process. But they lobbied for him to get in contact with a faith-based rehab center that was connected with the church. And he did it. And he went through it. And on the first Bible study that they had, he accepted Jesus as Lord. Was discipled through the whole process of his rehab. And then when he was released, he was baptized in the baptistry that he destroyed six months earlier. That's a community of the basin of the towel. 
because they went on to say this. This was a young man who had made some mistakes. He was on drugs and alcohol when he did it, but he was still redeemable. He was still redeemable. We can't be afraid of the mess. We can't be afraid of the mess when we see needs because God will give us strength to meet those needs. Because when we walk with people, when we serve people, when we put them before ourselves, when we serve a community that might laugh at what we believe. In what I do, I get to meet people from all different backgrounds, all different faiths. And someone says, why do I need to meet with the chaplain? Why do I need to see the chaplain? I have two decisions, and I'm just being raw and real right here. I could take it to heart, or I could love them. I'm not going to say I haven't taken it to heart before, but I'm going to love them. Because the thing is, I can always talk about God, but I can also talk about football, but football always leads back to God, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Especially, I'm a University of Michigan fan. i got to pray a lot. <laughs> but when we walk with people and we meet people's needs, and we go in, and even the hardest people that might want to push us away, and we get to share the gospel through service and deed, we can make a difference. We must remember that we have a community. We must remember that the community has needs, and we can't be afraid of those needs. Because when we're afraid of those needs, maybe we're not going to do what God wants us to do. I stand here today because I was a mixed-up sophomore in college, didn't know what I wanted to do, thought I was going to do one thing, but I felt the pull on my heart to go into the ministry, but I didn't want to go into the ministry. Why would I want to do that? But I knew it was everything I ever wanted I can do and what I'm built to do. And I went to a retired pastor that I thought was busy, and I said, can I just work something out with you? And he was a busy man, but he said, you know what? Let's go for a walk. Let's go for a drive. And because he spent that 20 minutes, I stand here today. You don't know what your life will do. The act of service will transform a community, a home, and a life. Be the people of the basin and of the towel. Well, let us pray. God, I thank you. God, once again, this, this service was just the way you wanted this service to be. God, I'm glad that that event happened here, surrounded by a family that can call 911. Then get her the help. It didn't happen at home, alone. God, we thank you for that. We ask for your hand of healing to be upon her. But right now, speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. Remind us of our community. Remind us of the needs. And give us the courage to serve because Christ served. God, speak through us all using the gospel. Using the gospel. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen.